Hail Oxal. Be healthy and content. You're listening to the Brute Norse podcast, and this is part three of the chronologies of ancient Scandinavia with my archaeologist friend, Axel Klosen. I am still Eric Storsund, coming to you not from the rocky coast of southwest Norway this time, but the confines of a tiny studio apartment in Nyr Jorvik, Vinland. Since the release of last episode, I have migrated across the pond, moved to the big city, and officially joined the Norwegian-American diaspora. You can read my thoughts about my recent migration on BruteNorse.com, along with many other articles, including an interesting entry from the personal diary of the renowned Romanian historian of religions, Mircea Eliad. Unlike the last episode, I think that this part is reasonably self-contained because Axel and I will mostly be talking about the use and commodification of Viking heritage, including a few controversial topics. However, I do invite you to go back and listen to the previous episodes nonetheless. While this episode is somewhat of a digression from the subject of chronology, we do consider the subject important enough to receive most of the airtime. So without further ado, here's the chronologies of Ancient Scandinavia Part 3. No, but I mean, yeah, the Viking Age. Yeah, um, the Viking Age. It is the genesis. It's the ethnogenesis of Scandinavia. That's how it's been used, anyway. Yeah. So. It's our myth of origin. If you stop an old lady on the street and you ask her, what was before the Viking Age? They all say, ah, you know, there, there was an Ice Age at some point. Yeah. It is actually pretty pretty great. They would say, you know, because the Ice Age, you heard about the Ice Age. Uh, people came to Scandinavia in the Ice Age. But... But of course, a lot of things have happened since then, you know. Uh, in Norway, if you look at the genetics, there's a big case that uh, the people who came here in the Ice Age don't really exist here anymore because <laughs> later people moved in and killed them all or or somehow suppressed them. And I did, or my dad actually, provided he is my dad, which I think he is, he did this DNA test, you know, and found out our haplogroup and I'm uh, yeah. R1A, you know, mm. same as the Brahmins of India, you mm. know. Mm. But as far as we know, we've been in Scandinavia forever. Of course, we could have come here at any... In fact, I always said you have like a honey look to you. Honey look? Like yeah, a... Is... <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe there's some honey. There's, there's some, you know, Attila running in your veins. What I'm trying to say anyway is that, yeah, people don't have a great awareness about this Bronze Age heritage. Some people do, if they're really interested in history. They know yeah, that the Bronze Age existed, tend to you know. be either the eccentric or the nerds. Yeah. And uh, local historical types pensioners yeah. and people know that there was a viking age there actually Merovingian period no no, no. no. What? it's very symptomatic of, uh, of our history that uh, people are obsessed with the viking age they see this yeah. as this golden yeah. era of, uh, of Norwegian history of course mm. we we see the viking age as for what it is because what we've been talking what, what have we been saying everything here is a process of different things leading up yeah. to the viking age we see the viking age as kind the of result the result of a ton of different other things yeah even though the viking age is formally the last prehistoric period some have suggested that we should say that the viking age is uh, the first historical era yeah 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 or, and in or, a sense it is yeah yeah definitely and, and and some people would even want to change the name of the period altogether they wouldn't even say a oh, Viking Age. They yeah, say, they uh, a, a Carolingian period or uh, the. Uh, oh, I've heard some like Christian, um, early Christian uh, period. What? Um, and just remove the the Viking connotations altogether. That's that's also one other function that the Viking Age plays in in Norway, at least that it's. It's like the barbarian past. Yeah. It's like we're not very proud of this time. Either people are really proud of it or they're not. Yeah. 
Oh, it was terrible. People had multiple wives and they had slaves and they sacrificed people and the old were left out to die and they, they chucked their babies into the harbor, drowned them if they didn't want them. Mm, mm. Implying that any of this stopped when we were became Christian. <laughs> we had slaves way into the Middle Ages. Oh, well, I mean, we, people had slaves uh, 50 years ago. I'm just, I'm just saying. I mean, the uh, slaves. Oh, oh. I'm, just, I'm just saying. Congo. Yeah, as, as I'm just saying, Belgium, Congo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, of course. Um, it's not within the scope of brute Norse exactly, but uh, no. But the, 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 the fact the remains. Yeah. It's well into Christianity. <laughs> as if things turn uh, totally rosy after the Battle of Stiklestad, you know. Exactly. You know, the Viking Age becomes this. Ugh, I happen to think that there was an idea of Norwegianness that got developed in the Viking Age, existed at least as a propaganda tool. Yeah, the identity. We like to think that Norway was collected and then it just was, oh, now we're Norway. But no, Norway broke apart again. You know, It was yeah, yeah. very complicated. Mm. A very tense period of Norwegian history. Oh, yeah. But I think that people kind of accepted this idea that we're close enough that we can be a country, you know? Some Icelandic scholar tried to argue that, well, we don't really know that Harald Fairhair, who collected Norway into one kingdom, the unifier of Norway, uh, we don't know if he actually existed. No, of course. I mean, yeah, it's, not, it's like we don't have any definite proof that he did. <laughs> we have to take the word of uh, medieval chroniclers. Yeah. And we have some poems that are ascribed to his victory in Hofsfjord. Mm. We even have a legend that states that he grew up with a troll in the Dovrefjell mountain or yes. something like that. Like, Which is grew fair. up in a cave with a giant as a foster father. Yeah. Okay, so it's, it's national mythology. It's, it's bound to happen with these persons, yeah. these characters. <clears throat> uh, but. Who cares if he even existed or not? It doesn't matter. He's, a, he's an idea. Yes. And it's he, not... Regardless if he was real or not, he's still a construct. He's still been part of the of the political and ideological machine that made Norway independent again a hundred years ago, for instance. You know, yeah. he's part of the national romantic movement. And that is also what we can call Norseness. And that's a point with a founding father. Essentially, it is what we're looking at. Man, um... imagine if Norway <laughs> argued our politics... Uh, Based on the ideology of our founding father. <laughs> so I'm just saying that, of course. I'm going to have a ton of concubines. <laughs> it's a hyper-militaristic society. The founding father said we had to have guns or we would be exiled from the yeah, realm. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but that's, that's the thing about this, this, this figure that we know as Harold Fairhair or Harold Luva. Yeah. Some people argue that uh, the name Harold Fairhair was just something that they made up in the Middle Ages. Which and I don't even know me. what to think, man, because the oldest uh, evidence uh, are Luva, I think. Yeah, they, uh, exactly. That's what they call them. In the the uh, Luva means uh, the f- the shaggy one. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe or the or it can also mean hat. Yeah. Harold like the hat. Harold the hat. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but but that goes to show, I mean, how we perceive this person, you know, yeah. as like this like ideal Viking figure. Uh, like long flowing hair and of course I'm not going to go into this too much but like as is always portrayed blonde blue eyes pale skin noble looking noble looking yes I'm just saying very lad like Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of ingrained into how we want to perceive the past more so how the past actually was it's it's a necessity as we already talked about Uh, an origin myth of course but also who we are as a people and what we are absolutely yeah and um norwegians and swedes and danes don't share the exact same genetic exactly genetics. This, this true. what is this the, the episode on like ethnic identity <laughs> it's, it's very important when it comes to different ages yeah what did a person in the stone age look like what did a person in the bronze age look like what did a person in the in the iron age look like you know it's yeah. like and we try to visualize it because that's what people do we, we, mm. we, we always try to visualize something, you know. It's like when you think about uh, a Viking, you have a clear image. We all do have like a clear image, like go-to image. Yeah. The same goes with uh, a Roman. What does a Roman look like? You have like a go-to image. Yeah. Uh, what does a samurai look like? A go-to image, you know. It's like it just pops up in our heads, um, something that we've seen as children or adults or whatever, you know. Just this is the, the shape of this culture of this person. Oh, I have to take a leak. I uncorked a bottle of Midgård's Öl. This is a Danish beer, or should I call it a, a Bracket, which is mead and beer. 
mixed together. We like mixing our drinks. Midgals Earl means Midgard's beer. And this is a collaboration between Ölbeck Brewery, I think, and a company called Dansk Mjöd, Danish Mead. I think that's, that's the largest Scandinavian mead company. I know they export a lot to the US. You cannot get this in Norway, actually, but you can get it in America. It's very, it's very common to find oh, yeah. in, uh, in liquor stores in America. Well, it goes to show where there's the most market for it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's more popular in the states. Than it yeah, is. we don't have it. We have the wine monopoly. We have a state-sanctioned liquor store in Norway, so yeah, everything is curated by them. Exactly. Uh, but what is interesting about this is that it has a rider from Vendlera, Sweden. Mm. Incidentally, the... perhaps Odin. Yeah, perhaps Odin. Perhaps. Yeah, and it says uh, Midgard's beer is a divine drink from Danish mead. And the whole shtick here is to portray this as something like old Scandinavian, Viking Age, something Norse. Mm. Uh, when people feasted and drank and reveled. And this idea of, of the mead is such an antiquarian, archaic idea. Even though most Scandinavians have never perhaps even tasted mead. Mm. We associate this with the archaic. Yeah, I think that um... the archaic sometimes is a terrifying thought. And, to and us, but yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. also a romantic thought. It's something that is kind of savage, and, and we and like to like ancestral. Yeah, which is carnivalesque. It's... Yeah, yeah, you know. But but also, as I said, ancestral. Yeah, it's 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 what our forebears drank, and it allows us to kind of so. step out of character and become our forebears in a sense. Mm. And it's also a great example of a commodification yeah. of the Viking Age, and the image. Because the beer itself, there's nothing Viking about this. The Vikings drank a lot of beer, we know, but the beer was certainly not like this. This is more like a classical brew. Danish mead, by the way, is fine. I, I don't mind it. I like it a lot. Especially their heather mead. I don't know what it's called. I haven't had it in like 10, oh, 10 15 remember. years, maybe. But this, uh, it says here that it's based on an old Danish 18th century recipe. And that's what they say on all their bottles. They have a base mead recipe from the 1700s, mm. uh, where they also add distilled spirits. I think that that is very interesting, because here you have a historical mead that is good on its own terms, but yeah. they feel the need to package it as if it's something that it's not. Yeah, that it's older than it is. And it's already quite old. Yeah. Why this need? Why this need to create something that would already have been authentic and turn it into something that is it's hyper reality yeah. it's more real than than the real it's it's something mm. that is totally fake in a in a in an ironic way mm. have a taste yep. what do you think i have nothing negative to say about the, the drink itself no it's actually quite good i would say but then again i mean it combines two things that i love it's it's something we don't just see with this particular uh, bottle or, or brand it's something we see across the whole board really it's like with uh, knitting or not exactly knitting but like handicrafts it's not good if it's not viking handicrafts if it's like 19th century 20th century uh, woodworking mm. it's not interesting it's interesting if it's viking but essentially what they're doing is 20th century woodworking. Yeah. <laughs> That's nothing to do with how the Vikings did it. It's how their grandparents did it in the middle of the uh, 1900s, you know? People associate everything that is done with their hands that looks kind of primitive with the Viking Age. Yeah. Especially if you're into this Viking stuff and you're kind of inclined towards this antiquarianism. Mm. Everything becomes like a subject of this Viking uh, connotation. Yeah. It actually eradicates centuries of traditions that did have little to nothing to do with the Viking Age. And actually, they're more of a product of their own time. And also, not just that, but also music. What is music in the Viking Age like? When we create the, the music of the Viking Age, people use fiddles. It has nothing to do with the Viking Age. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, it's... It's super odd. And awkward. No, but, but th th this, this circles back to what we were saying about identity and what we are as, uh, as a people. And, and that's why archaeology and literature, but also linguistics and what have you, is so important. Mm. Uh, because we need to have a perspective and people don't have a perspective. 
I, I get what they're doing when they're doing it, but it's actually kind of destructive in the same... It is, yeah. And, uh, and, and at the same time, you know, it's... Because I am, as a Norse philologist, and also, you know, I've been a museum educator, mm. uh, working at open-air museums and things mm. like that. I run this blog. There's so much of my time and my energy invested in being a representative and educating people and making people interested in the viking age or old norse or the, the yeah. iron age that people expect me to be a spokesperson uncritical spokesperson to these things and people expect me to be really interested in everything they have to say about this stuff or my my mother you, you my mother blood. would she has stopped doing this you know since i became like an established adult uh, she would serve me something and say oh you know Eric, this is real viking food viking food <laughs> There are certain Norwegian dishes that can be like, they, they're strong, traditional, sure, and they go sure, all the way back. Sure, they they sure, tell sure. something historical about us, about who we are as people. But like to say cabbage and mutton, this mm. is a Viking dish. It's just like it diminishes the, uh, it the role it has played since, you know? Yeah. It's like there is nothing between us and the Viking Age. Yeah. The Viking Age is important as an idea, but there are all these other things going on as well. But this is something you see elsewhere as well. It's like um, this, uh, we, we live in the current, in the present, and then you have the Romans. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> t t 2,000 years of history is just not important, you know. Uh, so the people tracing their lineage back to some Roman senator, for instance, you know, it's like, I'm blah, 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 this and this and this, you know, and through my mother's lineage, we can trace our lineage back to Pe Caesar. It's like people, people it's in like, Norway regularly talk about how they're descended directly from Harold Fairhair. Yeah. What does directly mean? Is it your direct uh, paternal line? That's got to be what they say, right? How would, how would it be indirectly or, or directly? <laughs> what, what is the difference here? So anyway, they say that, oh, I'm di directly descended from Harold Fairhair. According to my genealogy, I am uh, supposedly descended from Thorir the Hound, who, uh, who killed... Olaf the Holy. Great ancestor to have. But I'm not sure if it's true. It's a, it's a flattering idea, for sure. But, I don't know. I don't, I don't trust the science behind it. But also, people who claim that they are directly descended, father to son, from Harold Fairhair, how the hell is that possible? Because in the freaking 13th century, people were looking under every fucking rock to mm. find a descendant that could take the fucking throne. Yeah. Instead, it was inherited by, like, Denmark. How would we ever have come under the Danes if we had direct descendants with claims to the throne? We fucking didn't. Get the hell out of here, you know? And that, that, that's a problem. Because about... they know, but people in the Middle Ages didn't? Yeah, yeah exactly. What? Exactly. Of course, I mean, if someone did, it would have been them, you know? No, but that's, that's the biggest issue that we're facing with genealogy as well. And, of course, I mean, it's, it's true in a way that you're a descendant of Tolhund. The hound, because we're all yeah. If my dad believes it, you know, no, no, but, but I mean, I'm, I'm not saying directly, but we're all descendants of everyone that lives before us, you know. Yeah, we, which is, you're, I mean, it's not a lie, but it's not the truth either. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it, it, I mean, we can trace all our genealogy back to all kinds of people. Yeah, because in a way, we're all related within an area. You know, it's. And before that, I mean, we can it's, also it's think of it as, as legend, you know, it's, an, it's a meaningful narrative yeah, on yeah, its own yeah, yeah. terms. You don't want to poke around this. Some, pe some people, they mistake the two. And they yeah. say, we're going to dig up uh, Rollo's bones, you mm. know, in this cathedral in mm. like Normandy. And we're going to DNA test him. Don't do it, man. It's like biblical archaeology. You don't, you're not going to find what you're looking for. <laughs> if, you, if you have yeah. the bones of a king resting in, in, in Akershus Fortress in Oslo, they had... They thought they had Sigurd Yusalfar, yeah, I think. Exactly, yeah. And people were like, okay, we should put this to the test. We should see if it's real true. Don't do it! You know, what what, what, what were they thinking? Because of course... They're going to debunk it. Yeah, it was, it was debunked. And so they're like, oh, well, okay. So we've been giving these the bones of this, you know, anonymous uh, 15th century nobleman. Uh, all the credit for being this king. So, oh, oh what are we going to do? Okay, so they throw away the bones or they put them in like a drawer in the university yeah. or something and they broke 
this is so dramatic. They had like a plaque, you know, a big stone yes. plaque and cut with the letters cut into these are the remains of Sigurd Yorsalfar or something like that. And they just broke it with a sledgehammer, you know, crushed it. They had to destroy it. And what do they have left with this wisdom? And I'm a Gnostic. My whole philosophy revolves around that information brings us closer to the great mystery. This is, yeah, sure. But this is where that is put to the test. I'm like, I'm willfully ignorant when it comes to that stuff. What can he possibly want from this information? Just and trust the sources, then. Yeah, but, but that's kind of the thing, though. We live in a day and age where we have to test everything. Yeah. Uh, which is necessarily a bad thing, um, to be frankly honest. I think that we should test yeah. uh, hypotheses and we should test what we define as being the truth. Yeah. Put it, or at least put it to the test. But history is not always about the truth. No, exactly. And and, and that's that's what we're kind of losing in the process. Um, and now, of course, we know that he wasn't interred there. Uh, if he wasn't interred there to begin with, you know. Um, but uh, of course, it's in in a way, it's a good thing, and of course, it's a bad thing. It's it's, it's good in a way because we don't have to speculate. And the, and the reason they did it, of course, was because of the speculations. I mean, not just because they wanted a d definite proof, but like, is it the truth or not? But of course, doing so, you lose a lot when you get the results you're not looking for, <laughs> in yeah. a way, you know. Because, of course, it's, it's the same as with a lot of excavations, like they're trying to excavate the, the farm to Harold Fairhair or his royal manor, you know. Yeah. And they find nothing. They find a lot of <laughs> Middle Ages, like medieval... Yeah. fantastic <laughs> finds from the Middle Ages. And <laughs> or, or, or before, you know, yeah, Roman or finds. Amazing like, uh, migration but, era finds. But it's not what they were looking for, and therefore it's less... Uh, interesting in, in a way at least how it's perceived in, in the media mind you yeah uh, of course it's still published and widely, but and, and, and this is totally crazy because uh, what, you know when I <laughs> started studying I, I began medieval studies yeah, yeah and the lecturer at the time was this uh, quite renowned Norwegian history professor and I knew what I wanted mm. to do I wanted to work with Norse pre-christian religion and mythology so I went up to the professor and I asked him I need to specialize, but I don't know what to specialize in. And he was like, uh, well, you know, what, what exactly is it you want from me? And I said, well, I want to study the Viking Age. And he was just kind of like uh, playing stupid. He said, well, you know that we have no actual sources from the Viking Age, right? And I was kind of like, well, uh, what? But I mean, like the, the sagas, and like, the sagas are medieval. They don't have anything to do with the Viking Age. But yeah, but okay, how do I study this? And it was making it essentially as hard as possible for me to get what he knew that I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was just, I know he was playing stupid because at the time <clears throat> yeah, we had exactly. the center of medieval studies mm -hmm. where the Old Norse department was integrated, you know, or like the Old Norse section of the literary mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. linguistic mm -hmm. studies. And... Uh, I only found out, like, kind of indirectly that I could study Norse philology. Yeah. Uh, that's the, beside the point. Yeah. This is classical, like, uh, his, historian. Mm. Uh, he's uh, filled with academic spite. Because he knows that the premises for you asking the questions are wrong. Yeah. So, it's like, you could have just said, but you, okay, we don't really have text from the Viking Age, which I already knew, by the way. Uh, but... Uh, you can study this amazing course called Norse Philology, where you will have both linguistics and cultural history, and, you know, there will be some archaeology, there will be a little mm. bit of cultural history. But that wasn't his field, so no, exactly. <laughs> he didn't want to run that errand, I guess. Yeah. It also shows a little bit of my naivety, because I was not interested in medieval stuff. I didn't have an appreciation of the depth <laughs> and scope of, of the field. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of stuck in this romantic trap as well. Mm. When we're talking about like brute norse we're, what we dabble with is often like we are confronted with this these romantic notions of the viking age but i don't want to speak against people i'm sometimes accused of trying to deconstruct a norse or nordic identity because i am so academic and i say stuff like the valknut for instance that oh, symbol yeah. doesn't yeah, exist yeah, yeah, i say yeah, yeah. because we the word doesn't exist yeah. it's a made-up word uh from later times and that's something that brings us closer to the truth rather than away from it. I don't see that as deconstructionism myself. I see it as a essential tidying up 
in an extremely filthy room yeah. that has been cluttered up and people have been like throwing their shirts and socks on the floor and like left old pizza boxes and shit all over the place you know i happen to have the job of trying to clean this up because there are a lot of people with my background who just can't be bothered because mm -hmm. they have career opportunities they can tend to do instead i came to realize that my goals are much more long term uh, what i want is a new paradigm for the way we see old norse and the way we perceive history and our heritage, but it's going to be fact-oriented. I want to create meaning, but it has to be robust. I want to throw away all the old shit and create yeah. a paradigm for perceiving Norse heritage that includes all the positive, the negative, and like the shadows and the light, and all the nuances of the total perception of Norse culture. Ultimately, what we're, what we're looking at is an extinct culture. Yes. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, we'll never have a culture looking like the culture as it was you know so yeah. in a way what we're looking at is in a sense necrophilia <laughs> it's a necrophilia yeah <laughs> it's um it's a fascination for something that will never be again and our desire for it to return but uh there's some there's a place between this skepticism and this romanticism i think the balance where we can find yeah. a path forward and because some people find that the Norse heritage is deeply problematic, and other people think that it's uh, that it's you know it's the best thing since sliced bread, predates sliced bread, <laughs> as far as I know. But uh, yeah, essentially, yeah. yeah, I want a paradigm that is uh, holistic, that thinks okay, so this happened. The Germans had an artillery cannon that they uh, named after the Norse gods. So fucking what? It's interesting as a point of reflection and discourse, but it doesn't take away anything from medieval texts, I think. No, no. It doesn't take anything away from the reception. The, the thing is that um, the sins of the fathers shouldn't be used against people who live here now. Yeah, the sins of the cousin. Even if people have used it problematically, why should that stop us from having a meaningful discourse on it now? I don't think that the idea of Norseness itself is dangerous. But there are people who definitely think so, who oh, think yeah, that yeah. Uh, any form of antiquarianism or like a retrospective perspective of the world, since by implication, assumes that uh, not mm. all solutions are modern. They will see this as a threat, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. But it's also, you should take it for what it was. Um, the society we're studying is, or, or the society that we're, we're talking about now, is in itself a society that abuses. An archaic society uh, that had slaves that raped people not just in in, in, in northern europe of course yeah like but, yeah, but yeah, what is across the globe <laughs> but the fact is that of course we shouldn't uh talk about just the good stuff we should also accept the bad stuff yeah absolutely or, or, or just to say we shouldn't even think of them as bad stuff because they don't have a voice to to to, to object and protect themselves yeah you know? I, I don't we think should... that we can we can't uh, evaluate them based on exactly. our set of values exactly because then Who's going to be next on the barbecue? It's exactly, going to be us. You know? Exactly, exactly. Because we have to think about this in long-term perspective. Yeah. If one example is H.P. Lovecraft, who mm. also happened to be like a, a blazing racist. He moved to Brooklyn. He hated it because there were too many Polish people around. Okay, well, it informs my reading of Lovecraft. I don't feel like I shouldn't read Lovecraft. No, because exactly. Of it, no? No, but that's, that's the thing. I mean, you can't attack someone and doesn't have a voice. Yeah. Or you shouldn't, anyway. Nobody it's... will stand up to scrutiny a hundred years from now. No, of course. I don't think that he is that <laughs> different from people of his time. Exactly. Uh, and part of this is also because what was right. he was an eccentric. You know, he grew up in a confined space, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Of course, here and now, I wouldn't advocate people to have his views the way that he portrayed them. Yeah, it's like when I'm saying uh, I express admiration for Norse culture. Yeah. You know? I don't, I'm not saying that uh, if somebody verbally insults me, I should kill them. Mm. Or that I should bear a grudge in, into infinity. Norse culture was this, but it was also other things. In, in Norse culture, there's the ideal of, uh, of being drengelig, which means ladly. Yeah. Exactly. Don't step on anybody's toes, but if anybody steps on yours, you know, you, you're vigilant about it. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you, you defend yourself. Mm. Norse culture was a novel way of seeing the world. It was um, uh, certainly very interesting philosophically. But at the same time, they were ethnocentric, they were violent. Yeah. 
all sorts of things. Exactly. And and, and that's that's what I'm trying to say, uh, especially when I'm also you know having this discussion with other people, is that we shouldn't judge the past for what it was. Yeah. Um, because it was a product of its own time. And of course, there are values that could be brought from there to the present. I'm not saying it's like you should just discard everything, but it's part of the total human experience. Yeah, you know? these exactly. people are gonna exist. <clears throat> exactly, and that's, that's that's one of the major things to to, to keep in mind. So, if something <coughs> seems part of human nature, we should know how to deal with uh, the beast inside us. We should know ourselves rather yeah, than yeah. deny. Yeah. ourselves deny what we are because exactly. maybe people are a lot worse than we think we are <laughs> and maybe acknowledging that is healthy and good i'm not saying that we like we should curb ourselves and like do like we should try to fight this we have to know what this is <laughs> so we can fight the beast no but exactly yeah and 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 that's what it all calls towards you know and that's that's why when you're just thinking about identity and how that reflects a person's habits nowadays and and why the Viking Age has become like the beacon of who we are as a people, not just as Norwegians, but uh, Scandinavians and people with Scandinavian heritage yeah. uh, in, in, in North America, for instance, or across yeah. the globe, you know, it's like, it's, it's a go-to period uh, for better or worse. Um, of course, me as uh, someone that has an academic background sees it differently than um, Tom Tom Jones, an average Joe. <laughs> Tom Jones. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just. I'm sure Tom Jones looks, <laughs> uh, has a very different approach to this. Yeah, <laughs> but, but essentially, you know that, like, like someone that has no clue other than like the generic perspective that is fed to him from mass media and from schooling. Yeah. Um, and and that's kind of what I'm hoping that this um, this podcast and, and future podcasts will perhaps you know enlighten people and, and give more perspective and depth uh, and um, make people reflect a bit more on, yeah. on, 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 on who we are and what we are and that sometimes it's better to live in the present and, and of course you know as people mm. back in the Viking Age did they lived in the present they didn't reflect too much about the past and the future they had to deal with the here and now and that's why the culture was what it was and that, that goes for us nowadays you know it's uh, we have to look at our surroundings and act accordingly mm. um and of course, I mean, there is like revival stuff going on nowadays, like pagan groups and uh, like uh, organizations working. Uh, people that want parts of a uh, extinct society to come back <laughs> in, its, yeah. in its form, you know. It could be politically, it could be spiritually. Um, and, and they could also aspire to different aspects of uh, Norse culture, you know. Mm. The aspect of honor and the aspect of uh, of family and, and what have you, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, of course, we have a history of abuse with Norse society, but also a pre-Norse society. You know, just Germanic society in general. Mm. Of course, I mean, it goes without saying. You know, Nazi Germany and the way they used it um, in 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 a intolerable and uh, problematic way. When, when you look at the historical sources that we have from that time period, not just during, I mean, the mm. Second World War, but leading up to the Second World War, just the 30s and 20s, yeah. there is like a movement uh, in a lot of these uh, countries, including Scandinavia, mind you, I mean, Norway, Sweden and Denmark, uh, of, of the heritage uh, movements in, in a way. You yeah, know? yeah like Folkish movements in Germany. Yeah, example, yeah, ex exactly, exactly, yeah. It's um, and it's it's interesting when you look at uh, like pictures mm. of people dressing up like as Swabians. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if you know, but Swabians is like a tribe, um, a Germanic tribe mm. that has an ex extremely distinct hair knot uh, on the side of the head, on the left side of the head, and we have like archaeological evidence that we know that it had this particular hairstyle, mm. and we see people basically reenacting. <laughs> Swabians, you know, in the twenties, uh, dressing up. Uh, of course, it's like pseudo reenacting living historians in a way, but what it goes to show the mindset of the day and age that it was like this uh, this need to attach to a 
historical prehistoric periods of yeah. who we are as a people. And of course, um, during the 30s and leading into the 40s, uh, of course, you know, as you mentioned, the, the, the Third Reich and the Dritte Reich, uh, some of this, or a lot of this was absorbed into the ideology. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, the folkish ideology is uh, certainly uh, um, a leading influence uh, hmm. of the early Nazi party. Yeah. But um, the thing is, it's not very clear what the criteria are for saying that you're abusing history. You know, like in the Third Reich, Hitler was not interested in creating an empire of Germanic mud huts and longhouses. What he wanted was a German Roman Empire. Uh, and you can see this in Nazi imagery that it, it doesn't invoke Germanic symbols all the time, it does here and there. Like in certain, just Roman yeah, imagery. it's Roman classical like, imagery. Yeah, the eagle. Nobody's having this conversation about Greek and Roman heritage because this is too close to the bone. Germanic and Norse stuff simply isn't sexy enough for these people. It's not considered to be a, an important enough of a contribution that it warrants being saved. And it happens to be a good scapegoat. We know why the Germans used the Germanic and Norse imagery. It's because, you know, Germany was full of Germans. There's nothing in Germanic heritage in itself that suggests the Third Reich, necessarily. Mm -hmm. You can say that uh, that Nazism is this typically Germanic cultural expression of fascism. You could say that, for example. Mm. But there's nothing itself in Germanic heritage. And this is self-evident from the way that they use the Roman imagery. Rome was the ideal model to create a new Rome, not Schleswig-Holstein. <laughs> you know? Uh, no, but it's exactly what you're saying. I agree on 100%. And, and, and that's... Uh what's the uh, the biggest issue when we're trying to advocate a, a culture uh, a, 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 a society you know in in, in a specific uh, time period is that we're always getting like culturally appropriated in a way but that, that's the thing about symbolism and and just recently uh, the use of symbolisms like the swastika mm. has been in the media I'm not sure if you remember oh, just, God, just recently yes. yeah. uh, in like the society of creative anachronism there were two uh, participants or two, um, I'm not sure exactly like what kingdom they belong to because uh, you know, they're like kingdoms based in states and in the states there's like different kingdoms and yeah, it's 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 something that I'm not part of and I've never actually spent much time looking into it but mm. they were part of one of these groups essentially and they had like a, um, a braid, tablet yeah. woven, uh, which is a technique. Uh, the Yeah, the Snartimal braid. And uh, containing swastikas, as the original one does. Mm. Uh, it's a migration period, sixth century, uh, early sixth century braid, uh, most likely a baldric uh, attached on leather or something, perhaps. We don't really know, but uh, a baldric, all the same. And in this context, uh, with these two uh, living historians, reenactors, they were used on uh, coats. Mm. Uh, war coats, I suppose, because they were like uh, Vandal period or Merovingian period uh, based. And uh, another participants noticed from afar uh, yes. the, uh, the patterns, and of course that led into a huge outcry. Yeah, they were forced to leave uh, the organization. Yeah, the SEA has this slogan: "History not as it was, but as it should be." That it's like, okay, it's, it's so... It's alternate reality. It's an or alternate reality, yeah. A lot of the stuff that they do is in character. So they, these people were the king and queen of this kingdom. And they were forced to abdica abdicate. They yeah, abdicated in <laughs> character, which is even more humiliating than being pushed out because because of what was arguably the best piece of their kids. Yeah. And, it's probably and, like in their in, within their whole actually, organization I, that was probably the coolest piece of kit they had. This is the, probably the <coughs> one, one that was closest uh, to anything original Dark I, Age. I, I wouldn't know. I haven't yeah. seen any like images, pictures, anything of what they were wearing at the time. But uh, from what I understand, you know, they're just copying what other people were wearing. Uh, from, like other uh, groups and organizations. Uh, yes. Like, uh, so this this particularly like was taken Europe. from the from the Wolf Hedonas, I think you know the Paul Which Mortimer is... has uh, who, who recreates the Sutton Who. Yeah, uh, he he, he doesn't get lynched. 
Yeah, he doesn't get lynched. He gets <laughs> admired. So I'm just saying. So, it's so, like... so, yeah, it's pretty. That's a big contrast because Paul Mortimer, he's like the big daddy. He's the big cheese of Western living history. Everybody sees him and it's like, whoa, yes, it's, it's a Sutton Hoo King. Red it's Redwald. Exactly. He is Redwald. Yeah. But two Americans, they, they make some kind of wonky recreations that are like based on his warrior coats. They get absolutely slaughtered. That's crazy. And it's interesting. It happened when there was like a ceremony or something. Yeah. So, 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 yeah, li- so leading up to that, people didn't really pay attention. But when when they were like in the spotlight, it just all came. Yeah, because they were wearing this at the coronation. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, the coronation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and, like... and this is. Ah, oh, what do I even say? Because you know? <laughs> uh, this this turns me crazy. I, I I saw there was a guy who claims to have a PhD. Yeah. And this guy, you know, he says he's a professional jouster or some fruity bullshit like that and he's got a phd like in renaissance studies or something like that i'm probably gonna cut this out of the podcast as a bonus (laughs) (laughs) otherwise you never know what's gonna happen i'm Uh, saying my patrons are angels so So this guy you know he he comes to rescue not of the people who had this braid but the but the people pursuing them saying that there's absolutely no the mob I think yeah totally unacceptable for somebody to wear a, a source critical recreation of a migrationary braid that has swastikas in it mm. okay so what this tells me is that if it's history as it should be then it's history as a totalitarian state yeah. full of thought police exactly. that's what I think they're, they're, they're the people cannot stomach mm. uh, to see the big picture or learn about the, the past. Yeah. Which is Where people are not trying to educate change. themselves and they're oh. idiotic. This is more dangerous than people appropriating the runes for an obvious, like, yeah. national socialist agenda or something like that. Because we can speak against that, you know, if we want to. It's not, That's not as toxic as people who claim to represent the past in, like, a Puritan way. Say that, oh, but we, we are the good guys, you know? And... Totally deny history, piss all over history. No, because because that's the thing. I mean, within the context it was used, it wasn't abused. It was just used. Yeah. And it's not like they were wearing SS uniforms. On yeah, the but people were saying crazy shit. They were saying that but the the, the, the how equal armed ornaments that this was supposed to like be Heil Hitler or something like that. That's so. I but, wouldn't believe it if I didn't see the accusation. <laughs> no, exactly. Because that's so idiotic but, that but, I don't even have words. But that's what happens when you take something out of context. Yeah, you know, you, you take the symbol out of its context, and uh, it's it's it goes to show what happens when, as you mentioned, you have like a thought police, and you just see the symbol, you don't see the context. Which is why I'm always advocating for context as an archaeologist. It's yeah. one of the most important things. It's context, context, context. We've dabbled in living history, so we are interested in creating recreations. Yeah, exactly. That are. True to the context they have been following. Yeah, yeah. This is representative. You know, Which that is, is the big I think, you know, I think, I think yeah. that's where the charm is. That's what yeah. excites me. It's like the piece of a puzzle, you know, you, you put it in the right place. Yeah. Don't cherry pick, just, you know, try to do a good job. And, and, and that's uh, what is the most rewarding feeling is when you know what it was used for and you use it for the same specific purpose, you know? Yeah. Um, but also understanding the culture that produced. Uh, this uh, this ornament, which is essentially what it was, you know, it's true, yeah. it's a practical item, but at the same time, it's also decorative. So, yeah, it serves two functions, and um, yeah, it's really sad, actually, you know, because these people are trying to shame something that isn't in itself suspicious at all. No, and actually quite unproblematic in, in the big in, picture. In in a sense, in, I, I would actually draw a closer parallel to like. Uh, decorations you find in india they use swastikas all the time it's a good this is a good radio but it's too far away i think yeah we diverged the viking age how long does it last hmm i think it would depend on who you ask if you're asking a norwegian they might say the viking age ends with the battle of Stiklestad. and when was that 1030 1030 what happens at Stiklestad? Well, Olaf the Holy died. Olaf Haraldsson. And uh, yeah, that was the the Christianizing king of Norway. or the He got penetrated. Yeah, he got... <laughs> anyway, he dies, he loses the battle, but somehow this is seen as the point of Christianization. Because yeah. with Christianity, Christianity, every loss is a victory. Any ideology that wants to stay robust needs to develop the idea of martyrdom. 
So, okay, the Olaf the Holy loses the Battle of Sikkelstad, but still wins. And Norway is then more or less considered to be a fully Christian nation, uh, in part because of the miracles associated with his death. Also, the political changes that occur quite soon after there. Yeah. Uh, all the kings within like the official lineage are Christians. Hmm. And we also have a tendency towards urbanism in Scandinavia generally. Christianity being a book religion, you get scholarship. And you get Latin writing, you get church institutions, and so from then on we are in what is the Nordic Middle Ages. Mm. The rest of Europe has been in the Middle Ages since the fall of Rome, but now it's finally Scandinavia's turn to join the club. However, if you are Swedish, I think it's a little bit later. The Viking Age ends at about 1100, I think. And where in Norway you are. Yes, it also depends where in Norway you are. <laughs> it's it's never as an easy thing as saying like everyone converts to Christianity uh, yeah. like, uh, immediately. It's yes. like within a year we're all Christians. That doesn't happen. And of course, even in, uh, I think in the 12th century, you still had openly pagan graves in the Melar Valley in Sweden. Uh, Sweden. Well, at least, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have, you have boat burials in, in Sweden in, 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 in the 1100s. And, and, and the same can be said in, in Finland. And, yes. You know, along the Baltic, Estonia, Latvia. Yeah. And the Sami, uh, Sami word Christianized until <laughs> no, the 1700s. No, that's for sure. That's so, for sure. <laughs> so, so, it's, so uh, it's, it's relative, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so um, Christianity, the change of religion, isn't really a measurement of anything. But what was important is that, of course, the uh, monarchs uh, turned to Christianity. Yes. Uh, which is what we would define as the start of the Middle Ages. Um, and previous kings looked to the continent and thought, hmm, you know, there's something to be gained here. Or like, oh, this this is uh, what I want uh, for my country. Or, you know, this is where the alliances uh, are. Now, in what we call the Middle Ages, things really come into fruition. Mm. It's no longer just an idea or a wish. It's something that actually happens. People are building cities. Uh, trade routes are being established. And now that we're Christian, you know, it's not as toxic uh, a relationship as it was before. Of course, we also have a hundred years of civil war in Norway because the Viking Age kings had been screwing all over the place, you know. So they, the bears, the, the, the royal genealogies are branching out all over the place, and yeah. every every guy and his cousin has a claim to the throne. But that yeah. goes to show how complex the society was yes. and how important uh, the, the clan essentially was. The Norwegian Middle Ages are essentially <clears throat> the High Middle Ages. Mm. And in the 13th century, you have, like, uh, in a sense, uh, a Norse Renaissance of literature where we have vernacular texts, a lot of them fiction, uh, saga literature. And this is something that is quite unique. Histories are being written, but there is also... Um, like different waves of, uh, of scholarship coming in. When writing comes to Scandinavia, it, it starts out with Carolingian minuscule letters, mm. uh, but it changes to the Gothic alphabet later on. Uh, I don't really have a lot to say about that. It's not my main field of interest, to be honest. But uh, basically everything that is Norse literature that are not runic inscriptions is from this period. Mm. There are no manuscripts from the Viking Age. This is important to state. I think a lot of people are confused or perplexed about this. How do we know this and this from the Viking Age? And the truth is, we don't really know a lot. Uh, we talked about how the Viking Age is sometimes seen as either the last prehistoric epoch or the first historic epoch, but it all bases itself on either archeology span or these texts. And these texts can be problematic. Uh, Skaldic poetry is easy to distinguish based on language and the rhythm because the the metrics of scholic poetry is so rigid and so strict that if words do not fit the meter then it's ruined you know it's hard to change but edic poetry uh, often breaks the rules the language is very simple and uh, very much like like daily spoken vernacular language. Mm -hmm. You often see translations, people have this lofty 
almost snooty, artistic, uh, floral language in the translations, but that's not how they were written at all. Eric poetry is almost spoken word, day, daily life speech. So from Eric poetry, if an Eric poem is from the Viking Age or the High Middle Ages, how are you supposed to know? You can't. That is uh, the simple fact. We just have to trust or accept the credibility of any argument. The Hovamol, for instance, is often assumed to be uh, 10th century, but philological analysis suggests that Hovamol is actually a conglomeration of different poems. Yeah, so it's actually more of a relative dating than an absolute one. Yeah. Which is important to keep in mind. There are parts of Hovamol that can be from uh, <clears throat> the 12th century. Mm. There are parts that could be from the 10th century. Or even but, before. Yeah, it could be, but it could also not be. It's, it's very hard to say because um, some have also argued that uh, the Eddic poetry is so simple that you were probably able to just make it up as you went along. If you had a basic plot or something like that, you could simply just evoke the idea and you could improvise Eddic strophes. We cannot guarantee that the Eddic poetry is in the same form as it was in the Viking Age. They could have changed significantly in the Middle Ages. And can we trust that any of the information that we read in the sagas is true? No. We cannot. But uh, there is a question of credibility here. There is a limit to how creative and ingenious the medieval audience was. But High Middle Ages, the real renaissance of Nordic and Norse culture. We think of the Viking Ages, but really all of this happens in the High Middle Ages. And if it didn't happen there, we would know absolutely nothing about the Viking Age. And that's a cold hard fact. The Norse period ends around 1350, or at least at the end of the 1300s, because of the Black Death. For Norway's case, we have by then lost our independence. The Black Death, as the crisis in the 6th century, changes the language quite rapidly, and we end up with Middle Norwegian. And we go into uh, many hundred years as a province, primarily for Denmark, but later also Sweden. It's also the Kalmar Union. Yeah, it has to be said, of course. I mean, it's a bit more complicated than that. And there's a little back and forward going on. Yeah, that's in, true. In, in the 15th, 16th, and in, into the 17th century. Um, I'm not going to touch too much upon that because it kind of falls outside the scope. But mm. it's um, often you hear the claim that around 1350, uh, Norwegians went, everyone died. Yeah. And the Danes came, you know, sailing across the uh, Skagerrak Straits and yeah. like invaded <laughs> Norway. <laughs> yes. It kind of has presented. It's it's not how it's actually playing no. out. Because people were marrying back and forward, you know, and that's kind of why the Danes could lay claim to the Norwegian throne. because Yeah, of, they were the uh, closest relatives to that. So they inherited the throne, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was, uh, I guess, in a way, you know, uh, there were people for it and people against it, as often tends to be when the political matters are discussed, especially on state level. And... Um, you know, essentially, what mattered was you, you needed someone to rule, and and if you don't have the people to do so, then you need to find blood somewhere, and that was how the mechanism of society was, and lineage was everything. So the Danes end up in around the first uh, quarter, first half of the 15th century, ruling Norway. So it didn't happen around 1315, as it often is presented. Mm. And of course, uh, you know, during the Kalmar Union, Kalmar Union breaks up. Then you have, like, Norway wanting to be more free again, you know, people advocating for Norwegian rule and Swedes and and, and mm. Danish, you know, uh, monarchs, uh, like saying, yeah, we'll support you. And then just backstabbing Norwegians in their back. And, you know, yeah. all of this, like, cloak and dagger stuff going on uh, in the 15th century leading into the 16th century. And it's not until um the uh second quarter of the 16th century that norway loses all of its independence are you trying to bring nuance to the sacred cow of norwegian identity <laughs> the 400 year knights who would have thought it huh yeah i should probably be lynched. what a traitor no but that's that, that's the the, the the reality of it yeah. um and and of course you know uh eric and i we we love uh, context we love uh, reality <laughs> in a way yeah. um, and I think 
this is a lot more juicy than like the 400 year darkness that developed like descended on Norway as the Danes came uh, came like rowing across as nothing is uh, portrayed of course there's something linguistic to be said about this as well exactly. and that's that uh, while <clears throat> modern bookmol which is like the main of the two official written norms of Norwegian book speech essentially yeah. Book speech <laughs> is um, is very close closely related to Danish, uh, and it develops out of the Dano-Norwegian written norm. Interestingly, as much as people like to hate on bookmål, and they like to hate on Danish influence on Norwegian, mm, mm. Danish rule probably guaranteed the linguistic diversity of Norway, which is really where we think yeah. about it we have a lot of distinct dialects of Norwegian that can make learning Norwegian super complicated and difficult yeah but this is probably all thanks due to the fact that we had a big official linguistic block in the form of the Dano-Norwegian tongue that could stand as a contrast to the regional dialects no I mean like in, in I mean, in a sense, in Denmark, you have dialects in Denmark as well, of course. Yes, yeah, so everywhere Finland. has, I guess. But so, so, but I mean, like uh, the, the the amounts of those dialects are are fewer than yeah. it is in Norway. The differences are not as great, exactly as it is in Norway. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of course, this is changing as we speak. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and by the way, we shouldn't. But... <laughs> yeah, it's not a guarantee. No, but but leading up to. to to, to, to the present, it was definitely the case. So it's it's like the uh, the Danish heritage of Norwegian cultural identity. Thank you, Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> I say, wow. Well, we've uh, we've covered a lot today. Um, some things we've covered more than others, which is inevitable. Yeah, but it's uh, we gave a lot of a lot of meat to the Viking Age, which is uh, actually surprisingly rare for uh, the Brute Norse podcast counter to the name uh, but I think it's important to address the Viking Age uh, more yeah. in depth and um, and also create a more of a nuanced perspective on that period uh, and how you know one could advocate other periods <laughs> it serves um, our purpose well because we're uh, adding nuance and uh, reflecting around the Viking Age but also informing it by infusing in all these other periods as well yeah and uh, I think that you know as a, a closing uh, it's, it's important to keep in mind that uh, we are a product of everyone that lives before us. Yeah. And uh, the Viking Age is often a go-to period for most people that has uh, something to do with Scandinavian ancestry, including present-day Scandinavians. Um, but we have to keep in mind that we're also a product of a thousand years of history after the Viking Age. And all of those millennia <laughs> before the Viking Age. Mm. And that the Viking Age itself was a product of its own time and all the people leading up to the Viking Age. And the Vikings themselves, you know, from the recorded history that we have, which of course is later, but uh, they didn't think about their own time as a golden period, as modern people are. No, they had their own golden period. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> which incidentally was a gold period as well, <laughs> archaeologically speaking. Yeah, that's true, actually. Uh, yeah, migration The period. migration period was uh, immensely gold rich. The, the Roman and the migration period, like the amount of gold going into Scandinavia. Roman gold, mind you, but uh, gold all the same. Um, so it, it was uh, definitely a period that they admired, uh, most certainly. Uh, especially more, more uh, amongst the more uh, learned and uh, knowledgeable people in the Viking Ages. Mm -hmm. Are you happy with this, Axel? I'm thrilled. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a delight. You know. You don't you, sound thrilled. Do I sound depressed, perhaps? No, you don't look depressed. But no, uh, I would hope so. You're not too hot, not too cold. It's a good... I'm stoic. Stoic is the Norse ideal. It is. No, I just want to thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure being uh, invited. I hope and, you'll return. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, and I hope you will come back. You know, oh. you're turning into my sidekick here. Uh, we could do, we could do just, it over Skype. If you just let me finish up, <laughs> <laughs> instead of just putting words in my mouth. <laughs> okay. Even though you're crossing the Atlantic and you know migrating to the new world, it's uh, still a short distance considering the fact that uh, we're living in a digital world. So that's true. And as the Hovamol says, the road is never longer 
Uh, what is it? You would know more than mine. I shouldn't. I yeah. Well, what I meant to say was, crooked is the path to a bad friend, though he dwells on the way. But to a good friend, the path is straight, though he is far away. Hovamol, stanza thirty-four. Axel will be joining us again soon for an episode on bog and wetland sacrifices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider pledging your support on patreon.com forward slash brutenorse for some behind-the-scenes content, early bird podcast episodes, and other goodies. I recently opened a Brute Norse Teespring store, by the way, and you can find it on brutenorse.com for a selection of various shirts. Patrons of $5 or more get a 20% discount on everything. Pledge 10 and get a free button. It's almost time for a new button design, and of course, all patrons who receive the last one will get a new one as well. You've been listening to the Brute Norse Podcast. Have a good night. Okay, you assholes.